Welcome to a new episode of Down the Rabbit Hole. This is episode 48. Hey. Number 48, Carl. I can't believe, can't believe this is almost my IQ. Really? It's getting close. Hmm. That's what most people say. I think so. <laughs> so what are we talking so, about this week? Well, this week we're talking about quantum Quantum woo. We had it's a like bit of boom. a we had a bit of a thing about whether to call call it quantum woo, didn't we? Uh huh. But well, I think it's okay. And if you are new listening to the podcast, we can tell you for sure that uh, it's a very interesting format now. It's our new format. We yeah. have some news. We have uh, the main topic. Yeah. This case is going to be quantum woo, mm-hmm. and then we have our special section by Carl. And, and finally, finally, yeah. So. I think uh, we're going to have a very good show, very interesting. A uh, very interesting topic because we both struggled with some of these concepts, didn't we? Yes, we had to try to go a little bit more on it. like. But yeah. in the time-honoured tradition of Down the Rabbit Hole, we never let lack of understanding get in the way of a good <laughs> podcast, do we? No. <laughs> Plus, we always we are trying to count on you, our listeners, to yeah, tell us. To help us out. Yeah. <laughs> Any comments, emails, or whatever of what do you think about the topic, or if you want to, you yeah. know, enhance the topic, you can also visit now the Facebook page mm. and post under each uh, episode being put in there. Yeah, about it. Uh, your th- comments uh, help us get in, enrich the show. Yes, but for me, I think this is probably the strangest one we've done so far. I think yes. <laughs> yeah, I agree. Anyway, no, let's carry on with the news. Okay. And we start, as always, with the news. And this time, Carl, you start this time. Yeah, I'm going to start this time. And this is quite an interesting one about um, using sensor technology with or on hand pumps, uh, Uh in this case in Africa. And it's all to do with kind of like water security. That is potable water, drinkable water is obviously an increasingly, is becoming an increasingly scarce resources, populations rise mm-hmm. and weather changes and so on. Anyway, what has been found is that the if you attach a sensor to a hand pump yeah. and you analyse the data over a period, the action of pumping the pump by hand actually creates a sensor signal that when it's carefully analysed can actually indicate the health of the water source, that is, oh, w- whether it is reducing or whatever. Uh-huh. So um, there are apparently, um, there's a pilot project at the moment that has got something like, um, I think it's several hundred, I think, um, or a, a, quite a large number of pumps have been equipped with these sensors, and uh, it's showing very good uh, data. 60 villages. Yeah, 60 villages, that's it. 60 villages. The pumps are operated by hand. The sensors are um, are very discreet. And the data can be analysed. They They show the true depth of the... Yeah, which is really fascinating, actually. So, yeah, there you go. That's uh, sensors and uh, water quality, water Mm -hmm. availability. And our next news is something that goes out a little bit out of sci-fi, I'd say. Yeah, a little bit. SpaceX. Again, we're talking about... SpaceX is now in the news Mr. almost Musk. every week. Yeah. I don't know why he isn't president. Uh-huh. 
Yeah. Who knows? Why not? Why not have a why space? Not, right? Why not have a space cadet as president? Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, can't be any worse, can it? So SpaceX yeah. wants to fly two tourists around the moon mm. in 2018, and they, they in fact have had two people pay a to pay. substantial deposit, of course, to do just that. Now this is uh, interesting and a, li- a little bit tricky mm-hmm. because this uh, private rocket would uh, make the trip around the moon. But at the same time, it, I think it's going to break a record. It is for of, the distance. For the distance that the man uh, reach four hundred thousand miles. Apparently. Exactly. Uh-huh, uh-huh. So they're actually going to go beyond the moon. So beyond because they have to go around. Yeah, but to get, get four hundred. But to get four hundred thousand miles, that's twice as far as the moon, right? Mm-hmm. It's a quarter of a million, right? Which is uh, much more than the Apollo missions did, for example. Well, the, Manned, uh, the Apollo missions. missions literally just went around the back of the moon, whereas apparently this one is going, going to go out farther. To, so he's not only are they going to be the first private citizens, individuals to uh-huh. go around the moon, they're actually going to set a record, a record which is which I think amazing. was a great motivator to get the funds for it. Absolutely, and. Um, to do it, they're going to have to use this Falcon Heavy rocket, uh-huh. which actually isn't going to fly for the first time until later this year. Yes, and of course, uh, Elon Musk declined to reveal the identity of those two people. Yeah. And the only thing he says, it's nobody from Hollywood. It's not Arnold Schwarzenegger <laughs> or Bruce Willis. Yeah, probably if it will be Schwarzenegger, he will say like, I'll be back. I'll be back. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So shall I do the last one? And the last one, yeah. Uh, the last one is... Pretty current stuff, obviously. We've, this is just goes on and on and on, oh, which, yeah. is, which is all to do with uh, the leaks of confidential documents, yeah. secret documents. More specifically, WikiLeaks. More specifically, WikiLeaks to do with the CIA and the tools that it has with the help of the UK intelligence community for bugging um, basically retail devices, yeah. phones. In short... Your TV might li- might be listening to you. Your TV... The, I find this interesting, actually, because obviously this kind of thing has actually been in the news before, but before. Not, not for this, which is that where you have a smart TV where you can command it, the actual commands, the command interpretation is not done in the TV. It's actually done in some server farms, uh-huh. right? So there has already been some concern about smart TVs... What exactly are they recording back <laughs> at those servers? Now, this actually takes the concern one step further in that... Well, what, it was demonstrated that they can listen anything. That's right. That what what, they, what uh, their capability is that they can actually make you think you've turned the TV off, but actually it's actually recording uh, what you're saying in the room. And when you turn the TV back on, even though it's actually on all the uh-huh. time, Always on. It's always Unless on. it's uh, off the power. But this is like a fake off that they exactly. can create. It's like a sleep mode. So it records what you're saying in the room, and then when you turn it on, inverted commas, it then sends the recording to some sp- spook server farm somewhere uh-huh. where they can then look through... I saw a very funny sketch, uh, part of the monologue of, um, I don't know if you know, from Stephen Colbert. Oh, yeah. Exactly about this topic, I says... Uh-huh. Oh my God, poor CIA. They have to go every time for my recording of trying to find the damn control remote. <laughs> Where's the remote Where? control? Where do you left it this time? I'm trying to get on Pornhub. And of course. <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> and you should be more concerned if you have a webcam attached to your TV. Uh, exactly, yeah. So, so this is all coming down to, and I believe actually today, the CIA have announced an investigation into yeah. how these documents leaked, but... Uh, Nothing's Apple, ultimately secure, uh, is it? Right? Apple just says that uh, if you download the latest iOS, yeah. you're already patched to all those uh, security yeah. problems other, that were mentioned. Other than the ones they know about that they're not going to tell you about. Yeah. Obviously. And, well, uh, Linux is also some affected, but, you know, it's more, it's patched more often yeah. because of the community. Yeah. So... No. The bottom line is there's no such thing as 100% security. No, there's none. Software is too complex. Operating systems are too there's, complex. Remember, there's this famous phrase that uh, security is not a product. Mm. Security is a process. Yeah, exactly. So it's if you never don't have over, yourself, right? your process, you have your own personal process about security and the way you manage things, uh, you will never be secure. No. And anyway, you will never, ever be 100% secure. Never. And there's also a um, an old adage from um, computer software, which is uh, any computer program with more than three lines in it has got a bug in it somewhere. <laughs> <laughs> For sure. So I imagine uh, an operating system with millions and millions and millions and millions of lines of code, right? Yep. So that's it. There we go. Be careful your TVs. And that's the news for today. And our main topic. Yeah. Quantum. Ooh. What the heck does that mean? Nothing. <laughs> <laughs> well, sounds like a, a jelly. It sounds a bit jelly-like, thing. doesn't it? Yeah. yeah. But I think we were talking about this before we began, because we do talk to each other before, yeah. we, believe it or not, yes, exactly. before we start the podcast. And... This is kind of about a collision of two areas of knowledge, really. It's about the clash between ideas about human consciousness Consciousness. and Quantum uh, quantum physics with a smattering of mysticism thrown in. The thing is, without the mysticism... I think it's hard to put it together. It's well, like the glue. Well, you think it's like the glue? Well, it's like the mysticism is the hopefulness that there's something connecting these two things together. Uh, but it is also, I think, a convenience um, that some of these uh, kind of uh, quantum mystic type people or yeah. whatever they're called <laughs> are, are using to uh, justify their um, their ramblings, which are largely rejected, yeah. I think. Mm-hmm. So where shall we begin? Well, probably with just a uh, very fast and easy explanation of what is quantum physics, yeah. or quantum mechanics oh, course, first. Yeah. Okay, well, let's just take a uh, kind of fairly straightforward definition, which is yeah. that it's the science of the very small. So it is... W- the theories that explain, or the current theories, that explains the behavior of matter yeah. and its interactions with energy on the scale of atoms and subatomic particles. So, exactly. So, um, yeah, so that's what quantum mechanics is. And the other field that we're going to be talking about is our current understanding of what human conscious human consciousness, consciousness is, and I suppose we should try and address what the heck 
is the connection, if if any, uh-huh. between these two things. And well, it has been stated before, right? Mm. That uh, many science, many scientists think that uh, consciousness—it's yeah. uh, a mere illusion. And that reality is not... Um, it's not objective. There's not an object, objective exactly, reality. Exactly. This is only subjective. And there's also this uh, line of thought that the normal, regular mechanics cannot fully explain or there should be something more complex behind uh, yes. the way our brain, our consciousness works. Yes, because when we try to understand how the... How, when we try to explain how the brain works on using classical computing theory uh, it just doesn't hang together there's something there's something missing in our understanding and this start to get a little more attention Mm. since you know a few weeks ago we got this news about the new quantum computers the bigger bigger ones that are coming along so quantum computing starts to increase also our understanding probably of our own well the brain and me- how we mechanics work. of consciousness yeah. because of course for you those of you we don't understand either but for those of you who don't really uh, uh read about things like quantum computing we don't either but <laughs> a, a quantum computer instead of just working with ones and zeros like a what's called a classical computer which mm-hmm. is binary just has on or off conditions, you know, and billions of them yeah, are assembled together, together to make a program or a procedure. In a quantum computer, it uses not binary, but what are called qubits. And a qubit is a quantum bit, and it uses this superposition uh, quality of quantum physics where something can have more than two values that is more than kind of true or false at Uh the same time. At the same time. Which is Mm -hmm. obviously counterintuitive. But this is the fundamental on which Mm -hmm. uh, quantum computing relies. And there are people, groups of people who think there is some relationship between this concept of this fuzziness, you might Uh call it, of uh, the quantum world, with how human consciousness works. And um, the first kind of musings by people about this stuff actually goes back to the beginning of the 20th century. Uh-huh. And at the very beginnings of uh, quantum physics as a subject, it's not yeah. it's not that old, right? No, no. Uh, before then, it was all very Newtonian and all this stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, and the classic example that is used to illustrate the problem is what is called the observer effect. Oh, yeah. And the classic experiment for the observer effect is what's called the double-slit experiment, which is really Mm -hmm. simple to conceive of. So if you have a a source of light and you direct the source of light through a a card or a panel panel. that has two very narrow parallel vertical slits in it that are quite close together, very close together, in fact, the light goes through the slits. Through one? 
Well, the, it's, if it's just yeah. a beam of light, it, yeah. it shines on the slits and um, illuminates a panel, a screen beyond, behind, yeah. beyond, beyond the slits. And what you actually see on the panel instantly are what appear to be light and dark vertical bands. Mm-hmm. And the theory that explains this is that, is that light is like a wave. So imagine these are like ripples in water mm-hmm. and that the ripples in the water are going through these slots and basically they come out of the slots on the other side and if two peaks of the wave meet each other, those create the bright bands and if the uh, opposites meet each other, they cancel each other out and you get the dark the bands. The dark one. So this is how you get this additive and subtractive pattern, this light, dark, light, dark. Now, that all makes sense. Until there, and it's normal. All, uh, that all is kind of intuitive. You, yeah. can, you kind of see that experiment, and you go, yeah, because light's a wave, and that's what it would do, going through those two slots. Mm-hmm. Here's the problem. <laughs> and this started in the early 20s. If you take... Uh, if instead of firing a beam, which is obviously made up of countless trillions of fundamental particles like photons, Photons, right? yeah. if you take a single photon, which can be done, and you send it towards the two slots, if you look at the screen on the other side and continue firing individual uh, photons or electrons through the slots. If you continue doing it and watch the screen over time, now you would expect, because these single particles are kind of like bullets, if you might yeah. think of it like that, then surely this should just impact the screen or hit the screen and, and you get a bright spot. But you don't, over time, if you keep firing the single particles the same vertical light and dark bands builds up on the screen over time, Mm -hmm. which would imply, remember, that when it was a kind of a beam of light, it all made sense because the beam was going through both slots and they were kind of interfering with each other on the other side, like like waves in water, to produce the light and dark bands. But if it's just a single particle... The single particle surely can only go through, through one, one slot. Yeah. So how? What is it interfering with on the other side to build the light and dark waves, uh, light and dark bands? Now this experiment was tested further and produced a very fascinating result. Yeah. Which was obviously scientists were puzzled about this effect. So what they did was they created an experiment where they put a detector that could tell what they were hoping to do was see which slot the particle, the was particle went through. Right? Yeah. Unfortunately, as soon as they attempted to do that, and this had been tried many ways and there's mm-hmm. been no way around it, so no matter how it's been tried, it always gives the same the result. same result. Whether you put the detector before the slot, after the slot, in the slot, it doesn't matter, it doesn't matter how you do it, blah, blah, blah. As soon as you detect the particle, the interference light and dark bands disappear, and it and the and the particle seems to work like a bullet, and it goes through a slot, and it just makes a spot on the screen, and that's all. 
you take, but that happens only until you measure it. Uh, or try to measure you, it. Only when you try to observe, observe it, it yeah. going through. So it's all about observing the position of this particle. And what uh, scientists concluded was that the act of observing the particle made the wave, apparent wave function, as they call it, it collapsed into a specific particle or presence. So it kind of then acted like a bullet instead of a wave. And that the the problem with that is they cannot understand how merely observing the experiment causes this yeah. fundamental change. And it is, so it was posited, it was theorised that the act of us becoming conscious of the result of the observation causes the change in the experiment. So in other words, mm -hmm. the observer, the act of observing is affecting quantum physics outcomes, mm -hmm. which is weird, right? yeah. which has led to these various statements that reality, this is the observer effect, Yeah that effectively the early pioneers of quantum theory were deeply troubled by it, and it seems as if that uh, there is a... Their basic assumption was that the world existed and we were just present in it, but this experiment, the result of this experiment, suggested that reality was in fact subjective, that it only took on the its apparency the we had the consciousness about because it. of our interference because of our observation and led to the question what does reality really mean and in fact led uh, Albert Einstein to say mm -hmm. he once complained about quantum physics because he didn't like quantum mechanics and quantum uh -huh. physics he said surely the moon does not exist only when we look, look at, at it, it. Yeah. which is kind of what this is getting down to. Uh -huh. And this has led to many... Uh, well, this actually led to a period of decades where there was an argument between different groups of uh, scientists, physicists, about whether whether this observer effect meant that there wasn't an objective reality. Now, apparently... In the early 60s, this was all resolved and effectively um, this idea that reality is subjective became, went out of fashion and that um, effectively uh, scientists accepted that while we didn't understand it, um, the the uh the world as we see it is objective not uh -huh. subjective mm -hmm. now going back to so trying to get back to the subject that we're talking about quantum woo um and this concept about uh quantum states having this superposition yeah. state and these ideas about human consciousness that if you just look at how we seem to work, how our consciousness seems to work, um, it doesn't seem to 
adhere to normal kind of classical computing. Um, a British physicist, Roger Penrose, uh, in 1989, published a book called The Emperor's New Mind, where he uh-huh. he proposed that there were quantum effects featuring in human cognition. And he actually called his theory orchestrated, this is a real tongue twister, <laughs> orchestrated objective reduction. Right? Uh-huh. Now, what he said was, what he proposed was, that in the uh, brain cells, in fact in all cells in the body, there are structures, uh, protein strands, which are called microtubules, and these are microstructures inside cells. And Penrose and another physicist called Stuart Hameroff said that basically these microtubules um, supported quantum uh, interference in the way neurons fired or communicated with each other. Mm-hmm. And... Um, and this theory um, kind of gained some some credence, uh, but was later um, kind of disproven by a very famous um, physicist who I've forgotten his name called Tag. Um, who is it? Taggart, I think he's called. Mm-hmm. Um, an American physicist who said that. While there may be quantum superposition uh, phenomena going on, the lifetime of them before they decay is a trillion times shorter than the speed at which a neuron works. But, interestingly, (laughs) in more recent times, in more recent times, a guy, another physicist, has proposed that this may not be true and that... There is a um, a possibility that um, phosphorus nuclei, uh, which play a key part in the way cells work, all cells in the body, may be playing a role in um, what is going on in the brain, and that this actually chimes in with something else, which was recent discoveries about how. Uh, migratory birds, it would appear, have a kind of a quantum compass mm-hmm. operating in their brain, which are um, very uh, finely balanced molecular structures. When I say balanced, I mean from an energy standpoint. Mm-hmm. And the energy is kind of in a kind of an equilibrium state. And depending on the orientation in the Earth's magnetic field, it flips from one state to another, and this is a quantum effect, and it is... Which determines if they would be great or not. Yeah, <clears throat> and, well, it it's direction, right? It tells them which yeah. direction... Where, 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 where do I go? Yeah, where they're oriented, uh-huh. oriented, oriented, oriented. I think that's correct. <laughs> and uh, there's some fascinating experiments been done, yeah. and it looks fairly... Um, it looks pretty convincing and and pretty solid and also there's been other work done with um the way sunlight uh interacts with um plant life 
mm-hmm. fall, falling onto leaves, how the photons find the appropriate um, uh, mo- molecule to interact with to trigger to the photosynthesis the uh, uh, kind of uh, process. And that um, this has been looked at very closely, and it would appear as if there is um, quantum stuff going on there as well. So there is a because the efficiency with which the photon finds the molecule is not supported by standard um, of course. kind of, you know, uh, macro-level physics. It seems to be a quantum effect. Right? And that's when we start to talk about this uh, term of quantum mysticism as yeah, well. quantum. So it's all kind of... Here's a very interesting thing. In, in 2015... A physicist, Matthew Fisher, uh-huh. uh, from the uh, University of California at Santa Barbara, he argued that the brain might contain molecules capable of sustaining a more robust quantum effect. So remember, mm-hmm. the uh, Roger Penrose one was kind yeah. of discounted. The way he proposed it, uh, the effect was... Yeah, didn't last long enough. It Pro- was probably the lack or in that moment of understanding or more yeah. advancement. But yeah, it's technology, right? Exactly. Yeah. Now, yeah, this was different. Ni- that was 1989. Now we're in 2015. We're so much wiser now, right? And or so we think. Uh, that's another subject. And <laughs> anyway, this uh, guy Matthew Fisher, he pr- he is proposing. This is very current that the brain contains a, 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 a certain molecule that could sustain a quantum effect that could last for potentially days. So Uh it could, it is now in the correct kind of time domain to have an effect in the firing of synapses. And basically he uh, pins his theory on phosphorus atoms. Now phosphorus atoms are in all living cells. They take the form of phosphate ions and... Uh it joins up with um, some oxygen atoms to form this neat little uh, molecule. And uh, basically what he is proposing uh, is that, um, is that basically these phosphate ions in certain circumstances might be placed into an entangled state, which is where they can, where they um, can hold what appear to be they appear to be connected somehow yeah. across uh, a distance, mm-hmm. and that they have a spin. So this entangled state is to do with their spin, which makes them like little uh, magnets, and the spin of one depends on the spin of another, and that yeah. these may be affecting um, these may be affecting the way uh, neurons uh, fire off signals between each other because he's saying that these, he believes these entangled spins can last for a number of days and that is uh-huh. enough if it is in the you know right mm. place in a neuron for it to affect how the neuron fires. And the guy who disproved the Penrose theory was a guy called, a physicist called Tegmark, very well-known fellow. Um, and this guy, Fisher, he um, 
he agrees with Tegmark that Penrose's theory wasn't going to fly, but that this new one uh, may well do, and that he is currently investigating just how persistent this quantum spin yeah. effect is and just how it might influence how the brain works. Mm-hmm. And he actually um, kind of encapsulates uh, how it works in what is called a Posner molecule. And these um, Posner molecules uh, can... Um, these are larger molecules, which consist of a cluster of six phosphate ions combined with nine calcium ions. And these, there is evidence these can exist in living cells, but it's not conclusive at the moment. But these are called Posner molecules, and these could resist this decoherence, De- uh-huh. as it's called, this yeah. breakdown for a day or so in a living cell. Living cell. Mm-hmm. So it could could have an effect on the triggering of a neuron. Mm-hmm. And that if it was happening, this would be happening effectively all the time. So the way he poses it is that um, a kind of a Posner molecule could represent a kind of quantum superposition of a thought. Mm-hmm. Remember many of them. Many. Mm-hmm. And you might then see a situation where, depending on which way it flips, will actually send a thought in one direction or another. Uh-huh. You um, know what? That reminds me a lot. Yeah. Uh, let's say we go now into a little sci-fi part. Yeah, go on. And not. Um, the movie Avatar, right? They uh, have this concept of having nature and plants as a one yeah, like huge network around the, of the planet. Just one huge living net. Yes. network, yeah. and they would be able to connect themselves mm. to this network and upload their oh yeah, their memories and their consciousness, yes, their memories. That was it. So that really, the way to do this would be using. Quantum physics. Yeah, some effect or... Yeah. Well... And that would resonate in the fact that also, or maybe it's a little more related to the mm. fact some people say that, for example, plants themselves mm. uh, as living beings have some kind of uh, consciousness, if you want to call yeah, it. Yeah, of some kind, yeah. Well, there is... Yeah. I like to think about consciousness as a kind of a continuum, right? Uh-huh. And that we're at a point on this con- consciousness continuum, and every living thing is somewhere on it. Exactly. There are capabilities associated with each uh-huh. position, but maybe there's a common thread connecting them all. There has together. to be a common thread yeah. somewhere. Who according knows? also to these kind of theories. And in, in, interestingly, uh, yeah. Deepak Chopra, yeah. you know, famous. Uh, Famous geezer. Yeah. Uh-huh. In these areas. 1989, mm. he got actually the Ig Nobel Prize. The Ig Nobel. The Ig Nobel Prize. Love those. Yeah. For his uh, quantum healing. That's right. Which was related to that, actually something like this a bit. That wasn't a hit single, was it? Oh, that was sexual healing, wasn't it? No, that's something else. Yeah. Yeah, that's something else entirely. <laughs> well, I just wanted to uh, touch on how this uh, American physicist Fisher... Got got started out on this theory uh-huh. that led to this 
his yeah. idea about um, quantum effects in the brain, he um, started out being interested in how uh, lithium, the drug, well, it's actually a metal, actually, uh-huh. how lithium is used to treat bipolar disorder. Right? Ah, yeah, and he wants to try to use uh, lithium therapies to see the effects on well, mental illness. He, he, he said that uh, we don't currently understand, really, how lithium yeah. works to treat bipolar disorder. And what he found fascinating was that uh, work had been done on different isotopes of lithium, which are like, shall we say, uh, if you take a, an atom um, uh-huh. of something like lithium and pull one of the um, one of the nuclei particles out, it's still that's a an isotope of lithium, lithium right? I think it's one of the nuclei, or it could be one of the electrons. Electrons. I think it's an electron. So you get rid of one of the electrons, and that is an isotope of lithium, but it's still lithium. Uh-huh, uh-huh. What was interesting was uh, an experiment was done on the behaviour of different isotopes of lithium, which chemically should have the same effect, because it's still lithium. Yeah, but what but, was found was uh, uh. there were different effects depending on what the isotope of lithium was. And this is what set him off originally down this path of looking at what was going on. And he realized that the isotopes were kind of a substitute way of saying uh-huh. or a substitute uh, way of looking at different quantum effects. So he realised what we were talking about here was quantum effects Mm -hmm. caused by the different isotopes of lithium. lithium. And this set him off down this path. So he he had a kind of a light bulb moment Uh uh and he's kind of just following that, like all good science, right? (laughs) This is is how it works. Yeah. So To wrap up. To wrap up, because we're exhausted now. (laughs) Uh, We had some books to to suggest people could have a look at. Yeah. Um, Yeah. Maybe you'd like to start one. Yeah. Well, one. we want, we start with obviously some uh, basics. Yeah. And we <laughs> talk about the Tao of physics. There are no basics in this subject. I know. <laughs> yeah, the Tao of physics. Yes. Uh, Quite an old book, actually. It's old. It's from 1975, actually. Mm. Uh, the the physicist who wrote it is uh, Fridjof Capra. Mm. Funny last name. Yeah. Uh, because in Romanian, that means goat. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And uh, Interesting cultural point there, Rafa, thank you. Yeah, well, because we live here, so we do. I just remember that. This is living. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and actually, the book is an exploration of the parallels that exist between the modern physics mm. and the Eastern mysticism. There we go with the mysticism there, right? Well, we, sh- we should mention that quantum mysticism tries to make connections between kind of this, uh, shall we say, meta-science stuff like yeah. telekinesis, uh-huh. teleportation. As part of the, this quantum effects created yeah. that could be triggered, but let's say, some somehow. Kind of, it's, you know, it's based in science. Uh-huh. Is it, well, that's what they're, they're trying to le- yeah. they're trying to legitimize these ideas, uh-huh. which may well be who, who knows, knows right? It's still kind of discredited, but it's yeah. all out there. But yeah, shall I do the next one? Yeah, next one. Uh, the next one is called Mysticism and the New Physics, 
can't. I think this is from about 1990, I think. It's by Michael Talbot. Uh-huh. Um, Mystics have long held that the physical world is an illusion. This book shows how quantum physics is putting forward ideas that confirm this perception. That's probably a bit overly stated yeah. there, but that's the general, uh, that's what he's trying to do. And next we have The Emperor's New Mind. Roger we mentioned Penrose. it already mm. in, during this, Roger Penrose, and it's about computers, minds, the law of physics. And as we mentioned about quantum yeah. connections, this uh-huh. um, this idea that there's some kind of quantum effect going on, going on in our thought yeah. processes. Mm-hmm. Yes, so no, well, no movies for this subject. No. There is one documentary which is called What the Bleep the What Wino. the heck? Yeah. <laughs> okay, uh, what the bleep. <laughs> what the bleep. But that, uh, you know, watch it with, uh, probably many of you know already about it. It has been also very criticized because of pseudoscience. Pseudoscience. But uh, it's interesting to watch. One man's pseudoscience is another man's living. Exactly. Yeah. And, of course... As you mentioned, Avatar for a Avatar. Kind of, for a kind of a general, yeah, kind of, you know, uh, every thought inspiring concepts. Yeah, because they even share thoughts with, for example, with creatures connecting themselves. That's right, and that's how actually they can go into a body. Yeah, like this, the humans, the normal humans. Oh yeah, the well, the avatars, right? They're yeah. obviously using clearly that is some kind of quantum quantum. Technology. It's obvious. I don't know where they're getting it from. So now you know that next time you see Avatar, when next time you're watching it, think you about, think about quantum physics. Exactly. Yeah. Think, think on. Yeah. Food for thought. And eat as much as you want. <laughs> yes, there are no calories in this no. podcast, right? No, no. And it's 100% fat-free. Fat-free. There you go. It's the healthy option. <laughs> yeah. In podcasts. There yeah. you go. Okay, so yeah. let's move on. I, I need... Uh, I, and finally. I need a rest now. Oh, yeah. No, you have to do it finally now. We have to do the and finally. I think that's coming up next. Yep. Here we go. And uh, finally this week, we've got a very interesting uh, kind of uh, naturally occurring um, phenomena, which is actually coming out of Mexico and... As mm-hmm. as Rafa, my friend here, is Mexican, I'm going to hand over to him for a quick run-through <laughs> of where it all goes on. Well, we're talking about the Nica mines, uh, which are in the state of Chihuahua, which is in the north of the country, oh, in right. Mexico. Right. And it's very famous because the mines contain, uh, contain extreme large uh, selenite crystals. And we, when we say large, <laughs> we mean large. We mean large, right? And... So this is located in the municipality of Saucillo, and the Nica mine is a lead, uh, lead. lead, zinc, mm. and silver mine mm-hmm. operated by a company called Industria Españoles, mm. which is uh, Mexico's largest uh, lead producer. Right. And the interest, when we say large, we were meaning that uh, <laughs> those crystals of selenite, called also gypsum, mm. they are as large as 1.2 meter diameter for yeah. feet. Or 15 me- and 15 meters or 50 feet long. That is so huge, imagine right? the size of that it's crystal. Huge. It's incredible. And this uh, cave 
Mm. is exactly the news, uh, one of the interesting news presented during this week. Yeah, and uh, the, the, the latest news is that there has been a, um expedition from an American university. I think it's... Um, I, I'm trying to... Re- oh, yes, that's it. Uh, coming out of... Oh, that's right. She's the NASA's Astrobiology Institute director out of uh, Moffett Field in California. And she presented her findings at the American Association for the Advancement of Science. Uh-huh. And they led... She led a small team into the uh, caves because they... Obviously, she is interested in exobiology, so, yeah. you know, life out there, right? Mm-hmm. And... Obviously, there's a lot of interest in uh, extremophiles, you mm-hmm. know, by discovering what are the extremes of conditions that life can survive in on Earth. We can perhaps it might inform how we look for things elsewhere. Uh, so rather than just looking for one head, two arms, and two legs, we might look for other things. Mm-hmm. Uh, but um, they went into the caves and. Uh, as expected, they found all kinds of uh, organisms on the walls of the caves, but they made a rather more surprising discovery, which was that within the gypsum uh, crystals, which are huge, as we say, and are somewhere between ten and 50,000 years old, mm-hmm. there are pockets encased in the gypsum of liquid water, and they were able to sample the liquid out of the these little trapped uh, pockets of water. And what they found was they were full of uh, really quite extraordinary organisms, most of which were unknown, unclassified. And, um, and um, what they've now done is they've taken the samples back to um, the... Uh, NASA's astrobiology lab to actually uh-huh. figure out uh, what exactly they are. They are, um, they seem to be thriving in impossible conditions because there's no sunlight, um, and obviously there's no no oxygen no. inside the. It's very hot the environment crystal. there, and it is very hot. They have to wear special suits actually to go in there to keep them cool. Mm-hmm. It's like forty to sixty degrees centigrade, and it's humid and acidic, and obviously there's no life, and so any life form must do chemosynthesis, which is it gets its energy from digesting minerals. Yeah. So this is a very weird setup, and um, obviously it makes makes a very interesting... Uh, story in terms of what they might find elsewhere. And there have been previous claims about uh, bugs that uh, have been trapped inside salt or ice crystals. Mm-hmm. A lot of those claims were kind of a little bit not able to be fully confirmed. But this um, this expedition has really done it, you know, by the book. It's and, remarkable uh, the fact that... Uh, even in those hard conditions, yeah. life still finds a way to it's incredible, isn't it? go on. It's almost like if you've got the components there, mm-hmm. somehow they'll find a way of assembling themselves exactly. to something that works, right? Which takes us to the fact that it's very easy to find, probably, mm. other types of life 
elsewhere. Elsewhere. Right? But it does make you appreciate the challenge, though, doesn't it? Because yeah. what what do you equip a probe with to discover yeah, all true. these different... I mean, these, like on the Mars Curiosity rover mm-hmm. thing, that's got a an experiment in there, a, a, a chemistry lab, that is about probably as big as a, a washing machine or a microwave. Uh-huh. And it's incredibly complex and incredibly compact but it's only looking for a quite a, a narrow certain... range of stuff. Oh. You know, these all these extremophiles, they just kind of broaden out what is possible. Where do you look? You know, you can't go around Mars lifting up every rock and having a look underneath, can you? Or, no. or it's known on Mars, for example, that there are caverns that are extensive probably that could be very interesting, but how the hell are we going to go there, right? True. I mean, we can, you know... We can barely do what we do. Yeah. Anyway, a very interesting it is. Uh, discovery. Which, by the way, looks like the um, fortress of uh, solitude of Superman. It does indeed. The the images, if you follow the links in the notes, yeah. the images are astounding, aren't they? Yeah, they are. They, they just look unreal. In fact, the lead scientist said that she has been moved to tears by the beauty of the, uh, the caves. Uh-huh. Um, so... You know, yeah. So it must be unbelievable to see, and of course, only very few people get to see it. And I think you mentioned that they no longer they've shut down the mining. Yeah, they've shut down the mining. Preserved it? No, because of flooding. Oh, flooding! And at the moment, they can't actually access that. So Interesting. They're, they're cut off at the moment. Not the people, obviously. Yeah. <laughs> they're not there now. Anyway, so there you go. There follow, you go. follow the links. Very fascinating. Well, that was very interesting, wasn't it? <laughs> I, yeah. need, I need to have a lie down now. Yes. Because I think uh, we need something like putting some uh, cold, yeah, uh, cold things, packs, cold right? packs on the head. Yeah, frozen pee pack right, uh-huh, on the head uh-huh, because uh-huh. My, I've definitely got a slight headache. And it has to be peas because they adapt to the shape of their head. Exactly. <laughs> I mean, this is why peas were put in plastic bags. Of course. It's, it's nature. Uh-huh. You know, it's technology imitating nature. (laughs) Indeed. (laughs) Anyway, we hope you enjoyed that. If that's the right word. Yes, and don't forget to share your thoughts with us. Yeah. And we talk to you next week. Down the rabbit hole. Down the rabbit hole. Oh, yeah. All names, sounds, logos, and other related items are owned by their respective trademark and copyright holders. This podcast is a production of Dark Mind Radio. Go to darkmindradio.com to find out more. All rights reserved, Dark Mind Radio 2017.